Dell. Welcome to the Get Fit with Joe Dell podcast. I am, as usual, Joe Dell, and most of you will resonate with the fact that we are looking for perfect health. Now, living in an imperfect world doesn't make it very easy. However, perfection is still what we kind of aim for. But even if you miss it, you're still in a very good place. So we might not achieve perfect health, but we can still be in a very good place with our health. And today I'm talking to someone who pretty much got me started on working on perfect health um, and in a logical, common sense approach. And even before my nutrition schooling, I picked up this individual's book and it made so much logical common sense to me that I had to develop all of my own curriculum based on this individual. So uh, this guy is Paul Jaminet. And if you haven't heard of Paul Jaminet, then I, I think you might be excited because this man embodies a lot of what another person that I love is Dr. Ray Pete. He embodies a lot of that. They, they both really have the perspective of opposing omega-6s and supporting saturated fats and favoring eating sufficient carbs to normalize metabolism and supporting um, the body with bone broth and opposing eating toxic foods like wheat and gluten and things like that. So Paul Jaminet is a brilliant astrophysicist with a PhD in physics from the University of California at, Ber at Berkeley and is um, the founder of a product or a company we're going to talk about in just a second. But I'm actually much um, more of a fan of his other PhD, which is the book, The Perfect Health Diet. So that PhD is what spurred me on to want to help people and actually get results with my clients for the first time, because it's such an easy approach to teach people how to eat from the cell standpoint, from a logical common sense standpoint. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And it was Paul's experience overcoming chronic illness that led him to develop his views of aging and disease presented in the Perfect Health Diet. So we're going to talk about that. He also regularly blogs at theperfecthealthdiet.com and is currently serving at a company called Angiex as president and COO. Angiex is developing a novel drug class, nuclear delivered antibody drug co con conjugants, if I can say <laughs> that five times fast, with the potential to generate curative therapies for malignant solid cancers of any site of origin. So I'm so excited to talk to him about that and dive deep into that as well as break down the perfect health diet philosophy so that you can aim for a logical common sense approach to your nutrition at a cellular level to achieve weight loss, cancer prevention, disease prevention, and really dial in that perfection that we're all looking for, even in an imperfect world. Okay, so we might discuss some trends in the pro-metabolic world that might not work for all and might work for others. And, and Paul takes a different approach with some of the philosophies of Ray Pete, which I'm really eager to introduce you guys too. So Paul, with that, welcome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Janelle. It's great to be with you. Yeah. So um, I know I had a kind of a long-winded introduction, but there's so much that you and your philosophy has helped me with over the years. So I really wanted people to see that you offer a very common sense approach when you read this book. This book makes so much sense when you break it down at the level that you do. And that's why I wanted to open with that. So talk to me about the perfect health diet. How did you come to that and the standpoint of eating for cellular health? Yeah, so it, it was a long journey. So it's, um, you know, so I started having some uh, uh, personal health issues, uh, you know, starting in my 20s, but, you know, becoming more significant in my uh, 30s. And, and doctors were totally useless. I, I just kind of, you know, gave up every few years. I'd go back to the doctor and ask for some help and I wouldn't, wouldn't get any. Uh, but then about uh, 2003 or so, uh, I learned about the paleo diet and it made sense that, you know, an ancestral approach, uh, you know, might be more helpful. And my diet at the time was very poor. So I had been, uh, an entrepreneur starting a software company and before that a scientist so i was always working like you know 60 hour weeks and i would eat whatever was convenient so i would you know have like bread and cheese sandwiches and coca-cola and that was you know like 90 percent of my diet so i figured well you know it should be easy to improve my diet let me let me try this paleo approach and see what happens and then uh, you know so i did that and it was the first thing I tried, which really made a difference in my health. So some, you know, some symptoms got better, some new symptoms arose. Uh, but, you know, after, you know, years where nothing had mattered and nothing had changed anything, uh, you know, the, uh, the paleo diet, uh, you know, made a significant difference. 
And so I at least, that at least taught me that diet was important and diet, you know, could impact your health. And, uh, you know, so I knew I hadn't uh, optimized my diet and I hadn't fixed all my issues, but at least I knew, you know, I finally had a, a lever that would work and, you know, that could, uh, you know, have an effect on, on my issues. So I got fascinated by it and, you know, started researching things and experimenting. And my initial implementation of paleo was a very low carb, actually ketogenic approach. Uh, and, you know, basically very few carbs. And on that, I ended up after about eight months developing scurvy. Oh. Um, and that was uh, partly because I was cooking all of my uh, vegetables. Uh, you know, I was eating plenty of vegetables, but I was cooking them and that can uh, destroy vitamin C. And uh, I, I wasn't uh, supplementing, you know, so that taught me, oh, you can have, you know, you can eat a, a paleo or natural whole foods diet and develop nutritional deficiencies. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I do believe in this, you know, paleo ancestral natural whole foods approach, uh, but I should, you know, really look into uh, nutrition and try to understand all the nutrients you need and where do you get them from and how can you make sure that you're getting enough. And so that started the uh, research project and it ended up taking me seven years to work through the literature and, you know, everything that's known about nutrition, all the required nutrients, what's the optimal amount, you know, what foods can you eat to get them, you know, which ones are hard to get from foods, so it might be easier to supplement them than to uh, get them from food. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, and by the time I had sifted through all that and uh and my wife and i had gotten our our diets in compliance then and what we found is first our health got tremendously better mm -hmm. uh and then secondly uh our food was really delicious and mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and it corresponded to a lot of traditional cuisines and and that made sense too that uh uh you know when you're eating a diet uh that is is really beneficial uh, you know, so um, our brain evolved to kind of motivate us to do what's good for us and what makes us healthy and helps us reproduce. And, uh, you know, so it makes sense that we should feel good when we're eating the right way. And, you know, when our food is making us healthy, that our brain should make us happy. And, uh, uh, you know, it makes sense that, you know, traditional, you know, especially royal cuisines, you know, the cuisines for people who you know, had unlimited money and, you know, access to ingredients, uh, it, you know, should be, you know, both delicious, but also very nourishing and helpful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so that was fascinating. And so then I decided, well, you know, we've learned all of this, we fixed our own health. Uh, and in my family, uh, the generation ahead of me, my aunts and uncles, uh, and, uh, uh, were, you know, at the age where they're starting to have significant health issues. So I thought, oh, I should write up what I've learned uh, and share it. And so I did that, you know, made kind of a, a small pamphlet and shared it. And I thought, oh, well, I should share this more broadly with the world. So I started a blog and then started working on expanding it into a book. And so we published the first edition of the book in 2010, and then a second edition in 2012 and a paperback in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we decided to refine it further. We need more experience. So I started a health retreat. And, uh, you know, on the order of like 130 people went through our health retreat. And that enabled us to, you know, keep refining our curriculum and, you know, instructions. And we got, you know, better and better results every time. So we were learning how to teach people how to be healthy and what diseases you know, so I think in total, we had over, you know, over 100 different diseases that people came to the retreat with, and nearly all of them improved uh, with our diet and lifestyle advice. And we tried to track them uh, after the retreats and, uh, you know, see, see how they were doing. And, uh, you know, so it was really, uh, you know, intended, intended to help uh, the retreat guests, but also to, uh, you know, be kind of a scientific study, you know, so they would come to the retreat for a week, it would, they would be under our, you know, eating our food, living our lifestyle, and, you know, so we'd have control, and then they'd go home, and we'd try and follow up, and, uh, you know, so it was a great uh, learning experience, it worked, uh, 
you know, the, the diet worked extremely well and gave us a lot of confidence and, uh, uh, you know, so it was, it was all a great experience. And, uh, uh, and then we had to, uh, you know, kind of back off a little because in 2015, my wife and I started a cancer therapy company, NGX, which, which you mentioned. And, uh, you know, so we haven't had a lot of time. We had to suspend the retreats and we haven't had a lot of time for blogging. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're looking forward to getting back to it. And I think, uh, you know, medicine, uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny, you know, in the Hippocratic Oath, uh, you know, the actual literal uh, Greek, Hippocrates has his uh, uh, doctors make the oath that they'll use diet and lifestyle to heal people. And, uh, you know, and I think uh, modern medicine, you know, should, should get, get back to that. Uh, and there's still some things where, you know, pharmaceutical drugs can help, you know, and cancer is an example, which is what our company is, is trying to make a novel, novel drug to treat cancer. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there really should be an integrated approach and diet and lifestyle should be the first recourse, not, you know, not just some, you know, ancillary thing that doctors don't pay much attention to. Oh, 100%. Like, I, I think somehow we've missed that Hippocratic oath in the last, you know, 50 years or something. So I agree. Um, as far as like the, the diet and lifestyle, like you just mentioned, what is the perfect health diet? How did you break that down? Yeah, so, um, so in, in simple terms, how we recommend eating is, uh, if you imagine dividing your plate up into quarters and have roughly an equal volume of meat, fish, or eggs, Mm -hmm. some starchy plant like potatoes or rice, some sweet plant like fruit, berries, beets, um, and vegetables as another quarter, uh, and then flavor it with uh, uh, healthy fats, like which would be typically dairy fats, uh, you know, like uh, butter, sour cream, or coconut milk uh, uh, are our favorites. Um, uh, healthy acids like uh, uh, lemon juice or vinegar, apple cider vinegar, uh, and then an umami flavoring, something fermented, uh, you know, which could be, you know, uh, could be a cheese, you know, like a grated Parmesan cheese, or it could be something like uh, tamari sauce or fish sauce or, you know, something uh, fermented to get the uh, uh, nucleotides and other nutrients that come with uh, fermented foods. Um, and, uh, you know, so if you just, uh, you know, have a mix of those four kinds of, uh, foods and then those three kinds of flavorings and you, you make, make your food delicious with them, you know, then you'll have a very healthful diet. Um, you know, and there's a, a few more details which help to give balanced nutrition, like including some salmon for omega-3 and, uh, some, extracellular matrix bearing things, you know, like uh, soups made with bones, joints, tendons to get, uh, you know, you basically want to, uh, you know, eat all the ingredients to uh, replenish your body and to replenish all parts of your body. And the connective tissue, uh, you know, has a different composition uh, than, you know, say muscle meat. So if you only eat steak, uh, you know, then you won't get, you know, quite the complete mix of ingredients to replenish every part of your body. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you make soups and stews out of, you know, bones, joints, tendons, then you'll get, uh, you know, a key part that a lot of people are missing. Uh, and egg yolks are another, uh, you know, very nutritious item to include in a menu uh, in, your, in your diet. So we recommend about three egg yolks a day and potentially more uh, during for uh, women during pregnancy. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, yeah, so we have some, you know, foods we call kind of supplemental foods. So you should think of them, you know, kind of like a supplement where you just take them routinely or get them routinely into your diet, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether weekly or daily. And, uh, uh, and then there's a few things that are hard to get, you know, like with our purified water, a lot of the minerals that are normally, you know, in our ancestral environment would have been uh, dissolved in water are removed. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, so some things like magnesium are, you know, beneficial to supplement because uh, they're often, you know, they, they normally have been obtained through water and they're removed from our water for the most part. What are some things that people would avoid on a perfect health diet? Yeah, so in in general, um, in general, any commonly eaten food is okay as long as you don't get too much of it. Uh, so uh, things you can easily get too much of uh, are, you know, mostly the the seeds and grains. Uh, because uh, plants don't want their, they want to be able to reproduce. So they don't want their seeds to be digested by animals when they eat them. So they typically surround them with a bran that has a lot of uh, digestive inhibitors and other compounds that can act on animal cells and prevent them from, you know, working. And, uh, uh, you know, so if you, you uh, eat too much of them, and then they can potentially have a harmful effect. And you know, so there's some there's some controversy about how risky you know grains or other kinds of seeds uh, could be if you eat a lot. Um, you know, or exactly where you know what amount you know would become uh, risky versus non-risky. Um, I think in general they're they're probably fine as long as you don't make them a staple of your diet. But, you know, most people do make wheat, you know, or, or other grains a, a staple of their diet. They get a lot of their food from, uh, you know, the average person gets maybe 30% of calories from grains. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, you know, that's a lot to get from, you know, one or a few sources. Um, you know, so in general, we encourage people to minimize uh, seeds, uh, legumes, you know, things that, uh, you know, the plants that are important for reproduction of plants and that would allow them, uh, you know, where they would put a lot of uh, uh, compounds that would act on uh, mammalian digestion. Uh, and then uh, uh, another thing to avoid are omega-6 fats. Mm -hmm. vegetable seed oils uh you know so those are not we're not really abundant in our paleolithic uh environment you know so they're really found in uh you know mostly in plants that grow at quite northern latitudes and they're generally in the natural foods accompanied by a lot of toxins so they're not really edible mm -hmm. and uh you know so they really entered our diet through modern chemistry uh, and through textile manufacturing, you know, so, uh, you know, so cotton, cotton growing produced a lot of, a lot of cotton seeds and the cotton seeds were highly toxic and there was no good way to dispose of them. If you burn them, you get all the toxic compounds into the air. Uh, and so, you know, it was a big problem. How do you, how do you dispose of these things? And so the chemists, you know, went to work on detoxifying them. And uh, they, they figured out how to pull the main toxins out of them and be left with an oil that, you know, they hoped you could eat safely. And, uh, you know, and so cottonseed oil became, you know, because they just had so many cottonseeds, it was a waste product. The cottonseed oil was almost free. And, uh, you know, it became, you know, uh, people were attracted to the low price of the oil uh, and, an, and a liquid oil has you know, is easier to uh, store and use than a, than a solid oil like butter. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, so they became very popular and, you know, soybean oil, canola oil, which comes from the rapeseed plant and, you know, others, you know, they figured out how to take out the worst toxins and, uh, you know, and, and get you the oil. But, uh, uh, you know, what's become increasingly clear is that the omega-6 fats themselves are a problem. Uh, and, uh, you know, and also the extensive treatment these things need to go to can also alter the oils. Uh, so, um, you know, but just the omega-6 fats themselves in excess, uh, you know, so we need them, you know, at levels of like one to 3% of our diet, but as, as the amount eaten gets above 3%, then, uh, you know, they start to become problematic and they start to induce uh, obesity and reduced energy expenditure, you know, kind of torpor. 
And, uh, and the average American is eating 10 to 15% of calories in the form of omega-6 fats. And, yeah. you know, so it's, it's definitely a major factor in the obesity epidemic and mm -hmm. uh, diabetes and uh, a number of other health issues. Um, you know, so I would say those are, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, concerning uh, foods that, that people get too much of and should cut back on. Um, and, you know, the ones they should be adding more of are things like eggs, uh, dairy, uh, you know, fruits, uh, berries, safe starches, you know, like uh, potatoes and, uh, uh, you know, salmon, uh, you know, meat, fish, eggs, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, bone, bone joint, tendon, uh, shellfish, uh, things like that. I love shellfish. Um, where do you stand on dairy? Because like, I, I hear you say dairy, but like, is milk okay? Or are you talking more like the butter and sour cream or cheese? Yeah. So generally, uh, fatty or fermented dairy is the, is the safest. And you can have almost unlimited amounts of, you know, let's say cheese, uh, yogurt, sour cream. And uh, milk is more problematic. Uh, mainly the main issue is the is the uh, lactose uh, because galactose, you know, which is digested into galactose and glucose, and the galactose is uh, neurotoxic in high doses. So, you know, you should probably limit milk to like one glass a day. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, potentially potentially two, but uh, you know, potentially two if you're lower if your diet is lower in carbs. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but uh, you want to be, you want to be cautious. And if you notice any kind of neuropathy or, uh, you know, your balance isn't as good or other, you know, neurological things, then I would mm -hmm. try cutting back on milk. Mm -hmm. um, and some people, uh, you know, say they can be sensitive to milk. And in that case, you know, the more fermented dairy products will be, will be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's good to know. What do you what do you feel about the quality of milk? Should it be raw? Can it be conventional but organic? Like, where do you stand on that? Yeah, so uh, there's there's pros and cons. So uh, uh, you know, definitely the uh, you know the milk that you commonly get in the supermarket is is fairly processed. So they okay. take you know the original milk, they split it into its component ingredients so that they can make things like. Uh, you know, like uh, butter or low fat milk, you know, they can recombine the pieces in different forms. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, so there's a bunch of uh, stuff going on in a factory, which has the, you know, the potential to impact uh, the, you know, the quality of the ultimate product. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, raw milk is a lot more natural if it's, if it's unpasteurized, then you have the risk of, uh, you know, pathogens or microbes from the from the cow that could infect you. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, so some kind of, uh, you know, natural. And then there's the question of, uh, you know, how healthy was the cow? What kind of diet was the cow eating? And, you know, that can impact milk quality as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so the ideal situation would be, you know, a, a pastured, uh, cow that you know lived a, lived a healthy life and was healthy itself and uh, you know milk that uh, you know is uh, pasteurized but otherwise as uh, you know as fresh from the cow as possible mm -hmm. um, and you know if you if, if you trust your farmer then then raw milk uh, you know could be could be good mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wanted you to help me um, break down the aspect of if somebody's goal is weight loss, because you have a specific section in your book on weight loss too, is milk going to be real ideal for them? Because there's different schools of thought. And I, I with all due respect to Dr. Pete, because I love the man, but milk is an, a, a food that makes baby cattle grow. And so to me, a lot of excess milk, not to say that milk is bad, but if weight loss is someone's goal, are they really going to see a lot of weight loss? Or conversely, the people that are coming to me to consult with me that have been following the ways of the 
the, I don't want to call it the Pete diet because Dr. Pete would never say there was this diet, you know, that he wanted people to be on. He would just say what he did. And so, but they come to me and they say, I'm put, I feel good, but I'm putting on lots of weight. And now some might argue that's weight they needed to put on. Maybe their adrenals were worn out and their thyroid had been damaged. They needed to put on weight, but I don't always see that. I feel like it's above and beyond the weight that this person needs to carry. So is milk a weight gain food that some people, if their goal is weight loss, really need to dial it back? Yeah. So, um, so milk is, is generally a helpful food. Um, you know, it does have, uh, you know, the, Potential to be high in a lot of hormones, which uh, I, you know could have their own their own health consequences. So it's an yeah. unusual food in in that respect. Um, you know, in terms of its uh, promotion of growth, you know, it does. When children drink it, it does make them taller. You know, so like the Dutch who drink a lot of milk, you know, were the you know, like the tallest uh, people in Europe for a long time. Uh, and uh, in in adults, it tends to uh, you know promote uh, muscle muscle gain, and uh, you know, so a lot of um, you know weightlifters and and bodybuilders who wanted a, a muscular lean. Uh, physique uh you know traditionally ate a lot of eggs and dairy mm -hmm. uh, you know so milk and eggs was you know a good recipe for uh you know for for gaining muscle um you know so there definitely is the potential for you know some you know a little distortion of, of your biology compared to other foods mm -hmm. um you know, so I would say, you know, a lot of this, uh, you know, if if the dairy is fermented, then, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, these concerning compounds get, you know, processed out. You know, there's like one pass of you know, digestion by the fermenting microbes along the way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and if you limit milk to like one glass or at most two a day, you know, then I don't think you need to be that concerned about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know now uh um you know i have i i'm not personally that knowledgeable on this but i have heard you know people in like the western a price society you know express concern about you know these uh commercial uh you know mass uh mass dairying operations and you know what they kind of do to increase milk production and mm -hmm. uh uh, and you know what that can do to the hormone content of, of milk yeah. um, and you know so I, I don't have a personal knowledge of that but uh, you know it anytime you know you make something like a staple food in a very large part of your diet you know then you, then you're at risk if there are you know risky things going in so it's always a good idea to kind of diversify your diet and not rely on one kind of food for too much of your of your calories and then you know and then you don't need to be too concerned about uh you know uh you know the, the details that i love what you just said like diversify your diet and that's what really resonated with me when i read the perfect health diet is because that slogan that is so simple everything in moderation plays in but it's everything in moderation that is an actual food not like these cereals and things like that all of those obviously yeah. are processed and so what you had put together was like there was like a little leaf on the apple that shows that breaks down all the different food groups and even the little leaf had chocolate in it and like there's little odds and ends that you could add in here and there but those weren't your staples they were just your here and theirs but your staples were really logical like foods that if we were growing them ourselves or raising the animal ourselves that you would have access to and it just made a lot of sense um and and it's it's just common sense people need to go back to common sense and that's what your approach is now one thing i loved too was your stance on fruit because fruit gets a bad rap fruit is like oh it's fructose is deadly well that's different if you're talking high fructose versus fructose from fruit so tell me why fruit is okay for people listening to this to engage in <laughs> yeah well fruit you know so of course it's a natural whole food and uh you, you know uh, generally speaking uh if something 
had to support life as you know the uh, the the flesh of an animal or a plant had to do, then uh, uh, you know it's has a good chance of being able to support our life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially if it's digestible, which uh, you know which fruits are, and actually fruits are designed by the plants to be appetizing to animals, so that the animals will take you know will eat uh, the seed and what they try to protect is the seed within the fruit, you know, so that that will come out with manure somewhere, uh, you know, a little removed from the original plant so that, you know, so that the plant can, you know, proliferate and spread and, uh, you know, have, have child plants as it were that aren't, you know, immediately next to it and competing with it. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, fruit, is in general quite healthy and you know the amount of calories in fruit are not really that large uh you know so in most in most common fruits there's about 200 calories per pound and half of them are fructose uh and you know so the ideal uh and it's actually beneficial to have some fructose in your diet because it uh, enables the liver to uh, convert glucose to glycogen a little more efficiently. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so it helps with uh, regulation of, of blood glucose. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, you know, having a, a minority of your carbs as, as fructose is beneficial and the fruits can enable you to achieve that. So, uh, you know, so eating about, you know, eating you know, a reasonable amount of fruit, you know, like three, I, I think about three pieces of fruit a day is what we recommend, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, or two pieces of fruit and a serving of berries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a very healthful amount of, of fruit. And, uh, you know, so there's no reason to, uh, you know, to slander fruit. It's, right. uh, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Now let's, let's talk about the thyroid because that is something I see affected in so many people nowadays and maybe because they're not eating according to their cell structure to turn over a good healthy thyroid, such as taking in carbohydrates because a lot of people are afraid of them. But what about the thyroid? Yeah. Well, like you say, it's an extremely common illness. So, you know, probably 30% of the population is hypothyroid to some degree you know they may not be classified that way by the doctors but but uh you know they actually have impaired health because of uh impaired thyroid function mm -hmm. and uh you know so typically typically hypothyroidism uh it's it's influenced by nutritional deficiencies or nutritional excesses mm -hmm. you know like uh, too little or too much iodine or too little or too much selenium uh, will cause problems. Uh, but then it's also it, the most the most common cause of thyroid issues is some kind of uh, gut dysbiosis, you know, leading to inflammation and you know oxidative stress uh, surrounding inflammation and uh, you know lack of the nutrition to protect tissue from uh, 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 immune activity. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thyroid just happens to be a very sensitive organ. So, uh, you know, it has these, you know, very uh, reactive uh, compounds. You know, iodine is a very reactive uh, atom. And, uh, uh, you know, so it's, it's handling, you know, like these high energy uh, uh, compounds and it can easily uh, you know, be, be at risk of being injured by uh, various uh, problems. And so, you know, it tends to be, you know, like the canary in the coal mine. It's the, you know, when you, when you have a, a problem from gut dysbiosis, the thyroid tends to be the first organ that's affected. Uh, and, uh, you know, so people, but it tends to be, tends to be pretty straightforward to fix as well. Uh, you know, by natural means, when you, when you clean things up, it'll typically heal. And it may take some time, but you'll usually see gradual improvement, you know, over, you know, it could take as long as two years to uh, completely heal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so things oriented to protection of the gut include uh, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin K, uh, circadian rhythm and trainment, uh, time-restricted feeding can help, 
Um, you know, good nutrition, extracellular matrix helps healing any injury. Uh, you know, so including both problems with the gut lining and with the thyroid. Um, and then, uh, you know, some key nutrients like zinc and copper are important as antioxidants, uh, you know, optimizing iodine and selenium. Uh, you know, so there's typically a lot of mistakes. You know, I would say the average American is probably making about eight different key mistakes that tend to generate hypothyroidism. And, you know, fixing those will almost always tend to lead to healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in your book, you have some pillars of the perfect health diet. And you just mentioned one, which was circadian rhythm and training that circadian rhythm. And that part was why I... Like I hadn't done the NTA, the Nutrition Therapy Association, when I read your book. And it was why I picked the NTA because they talked about it too. Like everything that I picked for schooling as a nutritionist way back in the day was based on what I learned in your book. Because I was like, if it doesn't match up to this, I don't want to take the course. So, <laughs> so circadian rhythm is huge because it's not just about the food. It really has to do with that rhythm that our body relies on the earth has a rhythm we have a rhythm and then we match that we get a lot more results so talk to me about why you incorporate that in the perfect health diet yeah so it, it really is a critical component of health and uh, you know so in some way we probably should have named the book just perfect health instead of yeah. perfect health diet but right. uh, um it, it, yeah, so in terms of lifestyle, there are a lot of lifestyle things you can do to impact health, but they all seem to go back through this central issue of circadian rhythm entrainment. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, so like exercise entrains circadian rhythms in skeletal muscle. Uh, the timing of, of eating entrains it in the liver. Uh, exposure to sunlight entrains the brain. And, and it turns out that if your various organs are not if they don't have the clocks on the same on the same cycle, uh, then you then you get health problems, and uh, and also if you don't have the clock cycling with the right amplitude, so you don't exercise enough to you know to to get the clock. You know if your your skeletal muscle doesn't know whether it's day or night because you're inactive, you know both times, you know then you won't have the uh, uh, you know the clock won't be giving the right signals. Mm -hmm. And the body, you know, it really needs to coordinate across all the organs and it needs to do the right things at the right times. So in our health retreats, you know, I use the analogy, if you're trying to move a sofa, you need to have one mover at each end lifting the sofa. And if somebody lifts on one end and tries to move it, then the other end will, you know, drag along the floor and scratch the floor, yeah. you know, or, or you may not be able to move it. And, you know, so it's the same way in the body, you know, in order to accomplish a lot of things, all your cells have to work together. And how do the cells know, you know, what to do when it's through their circadian rhythms. Mm -hmm. And if you have different rhythms, if they think it's a different time of day, you know, then you'll be in the situation where, you know, one part of the body is lifting one side of the sofa at one time of day and the other one isn't. And then later in the day, the other side is trying to lift its side of the sofa, but it doesn't have the partnered picking the other hand and things just don't work. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it really is important to give those signals uh, to the body. And so you do want to coordinate uh, eating with exercise, with sleep, with light exposure, with stress uh, exposure, you know, personal interactions, uh, you know, those, uh, all those uh, Zeitgebers, the, the time givers to the body. Um, and, uh, you know, so people, it, you know, it is a very important uh, aspect of health. It's, uh, you know, for most people, it's similar in importance to, uh, to diet. Uh, and it's especially important in aging. You know, so part of the way, you know, the aging program uh, sabotages our health is to uh, disrupt circadian rhythms. So we don't, you know, we don't get our our circadian rhythms diminish in amplitude with age and they don't entrain as easily. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and that's why uh, elderly people tend not to sleep well and, uh, you know, and they tend not to have uh, good immunity, um, you, you know, but if you, uh, you know, work hard to entrain your rhythms, you can, you know, essentially rejuvenate yourself significantly. And, uh, uh, 
you know, so especially as you get older, circadian rhythm entrainment becomes uh, very, very important. Uh, you know, typically in in children and and uh, you know young people, your body will often uh, you know make the circadian rhythms right, even if you're not giving the right stimulus. But as you get older, you really need to focus on you know stimulating them correctly. Yeah, are there a few tips as you could give people how to start doing that, how to really start to entrain their circadian rhythm? Yeah, so what I recommend is uh, is uh, define a personal 12-hour day and 12-hour night that you keep mm -hmm. to, you know, routinely year-round. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means in winter when the days are short, uh, you need to have, uh, you know, you need to kind of lengthen the day relative to the natural one. And in the summer when the, the days are long, you need to shorten the natural day and uh, uh, what you want to do in the in the 12 hour daytime is make sure that everywhere you go you're exposed to very bright white light mm -hmm. so uh, 5000 kelvin color temperature very high intensity light indoors uh, and then uh, during the 12 hour night uh, you want to have only red orange yellow light uh, so, you know, I recommend buying orange light bulbs and, uh, uh, you know, and just switch over. So, you know, our day goes from 7.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. And at 7.30 p.m. we turn off all the white lights and we turn on the orange lights and, uh, you know, we have an, have an orange house. You know, so think of, you know, like the color of our, uh, you know, of a campfire. You yeah. Know, should be the kind of lighting you have at night. And, uh, you know, so a campfire has essentially no blue or green light mm -hmm. and it's blue or green uh, colors, uh, light that, that gives us our daytime signal and tells the body it's daytime. Mm -hmm. uh, so you wanna get rid of all, you know, blue or green, you know, so no white light uh, and, you know, just have red, orange, yellow lighting. Um, and, uh, you know, and we do that outdoors as well. So we have yellow LED lights outside so that the animals aren't uh, disrupted in their circadian rhythms. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, you want to, uh, all, all of your calories should come in the daytime, nothing at all at night. And ideally earlier in the day, you know, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, morning or midday, uh, your biggest meal should be at midday. Uh, you know, so around lunchtime, uh, preferably only a, li a light supper or dessert. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to confine all your eating to maybe eight hours and have a 16 hour fast overnight. Um, and, uh, you know, with a, the eight hour feeding window bias toward the early part of the 12 hour day. Uh, and then uh, it's a good idea to always exercise before eating. You know, so kind of earn your food with some exercise. Uh, you should, everyone should get uh, 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise a day or an hour and a half of walking, uh, or, you know, you can do less than 30 minutes if it's more intense, um, you know, but you should try to get some exercise every day mm -hmm. and I, ideally mostly before meals uh, and, uh, you know, so morning or afternoon. Mm -hmm. uh, no real exercise at night, you know, so night should be relaxing. Uh, stress and especially personal interactions and any stressful personal interaction should be in the daytime. <laughs> uh, nighttime should be calm, relaxed, uh, intimate. Uh, interactions are uh, good, but not stressful ones. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you're going to argue with your spouse, you know, schedule the argument. For the morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, uh, yeah, so those are, uh, you know, those are the main uh, circadian uh, time givers. It's, uh, you know, food, exercise, light exposure, and uh, stress uh, interactions. And, uh, you know, so in general, in the daytime, you want to get, uh, you know, faces, voices, drama, uh, you know, those are good things. So watching soap operas, that's great for the middle of the day, you know, but at, at night, you know, you don't want a lot of soap operas. So, uh. mm. <laughs> and I would add like checking email at night, that could be kind of toxic. If you're getting an email that you're like, oh, now I have to think about this and save those emails for in the part of the day where your brain has the capacity to think about it. And you're more in that 
mode of yeah. like handling big deals other than at night when you're trying to like you said wind down and calm down so it's really our our sins against nature it's that's that's what the perfect health diet really is about it's like when you're eating foods that are outside of nature when you're doing things that are outside of nature when you're not getting the right light and you're not getting the right nutrition and the right lifestyle that matches like a normal human if we didn't have all these modern conveniences how would we live and so when we go back to that, it's really going back to the way that health should be, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Now, where do you stand on EMF exposure? Like non-native things, our devices, our Wi-Fi, and stuff like that. I always like to ask guests this, this question. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. You know, so I guess it's becoming clear that uh, EMF does have an impact on the body, and uh, you know there is there is potential for it to cause harm. And, you know, we're increasingly learning that you can use microwaves as a weapon, uh, you know, and there may be, you know, there have been these reports of, you know, like Havana syndrome, you know, affecting the, uh, uh, you know, U.S. diplomats and uh, uh, other things which might be uh, EMF, you know, some kind of EMF weapons. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, people have been have, have been learning, and there's definitely an increasing evidence that uh, you know various uh, frequencies of microwave energy can impact impact health. And um, you know, I would say it's not necessarily all that clear exactly what to do about it. Um, it it's hard in our current environment to do away with cell phones and. Uh, you know, so I, ideally you could use, uh, uh, you know, well, there are some simple things you can do, you know, like uh, grounding your bed is one way mm -hmm. to minimize uh, EMF exposure while you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also use uh, Ethernet cables in place of Wi-Fi, you know, to uh, give your computers access to the Internet. You know, so uh, you know those are those are shielded, so they'll minimize radiation. You know, you can try to hold your cell phone farther from your head when you're doing calls, or you know, generally keep it a little farther from your body rather than, you know, always carrying it at your belt or, yeah. uh, you know, right next to you. Mm -hmm. um, you you know, so there there are some things to do uh and uh you know i guess it's still an open question exactly how you know significant you know the, the health issues from emf are uh you know but it, it does seem like they can uh you know that there can be issues yeah. uh you know so it, it, it's hard we haven't really done controlled experiments you know and uh you know and then you know like there's always these new generations, you know, 5G is different than 4G. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it may be a little hard to figure out exactly uh, how significant the impact is. Yeah, unfortunately, we've only been with these little rectangles in our hand for 20 some years now. So that's not enough time to see what it's doing. But it stands it stands to reason it is another sin against nature because natural humans never had these things so it's like the more we can um decrease our exposure to them the better so let's shift gears now and i want you to tell me about this angie x because this is something that's new to me i've followed you for years but i'm just new to this um, drug that you're working on so fill us in on that yeah so um you know so i've considered myself a, a scientist entrepreneur. So, you know, you mentioned I was originally a physicist and then I left to uh, help start a software company. So I was a software entrepreneur before PhD mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed that. So I've considered myself an entrepreneur and my wife uh, is a biomedical scientist, at, you know, first children's hospital and then Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston and Harvard Medical School. And so she was researching cancer therapies, and I I told her if you if you discover a way to cure cancer, then I'll then I'll help you start a company to uh, <laughs> uh, to make it happen. And yeah. uh, she did. So I had to help her start a company, and uh, so we did that in uh, 2015, and uh, and we made what we believe is a great drug, and 
you know, we're heading into the, the clinic now. So, you know, uh, hopefully prove that the drug works in the first half of next year. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, you know, so it's an exciting, exciting time for us. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, the nice thing about the drug, uh, it has several mechanisms of action, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, so it attacks uh, some universal mechanisms of uh, cancers, which make them, you know, which are actually precisely the, the hallmarks of cancer that make them deadly. Uh, so uh, one of them is what's called angiogenesis, the ability right. to stimulate the growth of new blood vessels to enable tumors to grow. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, so we, uh, our drug specifically attacks the angiogenic tumor blood vessels. Mm -hmm. uh, so it can take away the ability of uh, the tumor to uh, gain blood supply. And so the tumors will, will shrink because we, we can destroy the tumor blood vessels without affecting the normal blood vessels of the body. Okay. Uh, and then uh, that has another benefit is when you injure the, when you injure blood vessels anywhere, then the immune system notices and gets excited and surveys it to see what's wrong and try to fix it. And so when it sees an injury in the blood vessels of the tumor, then it, then it goes there and, and looks, is there something foreign? Are there any infections here? You know, why did this happen? And it will often detect that, you know, there's this cancer here that, you know, there's something foreign and uh, eliminate the cancer. And, you know, so that's a, uh, you know, that activation of anti-cancer immunity is a great way to generate uh, curative results. Uh, and then it turns out that uh, uh, cancer cells, in order to invade or metastasize, they have to interact with the tumor uh, with the vascular endothelium. Uh, and they do it with precisely the same protein that the endothelial cells use to grow mm. and, uh, you know, and to expand vessels. Mm -hmm. And so essentially all invasive and metastatic tumor cells are sensitive to our drug. And uh, so we can potentially kill all the invasive and metastatic tumor cells and convert the tumor into a benign tumor. Uh, you know, so uh, a lot of opportunities, um, you know, potentially to have a universal therapy for any growing tumor. And, uh, and you know, and the other nice thing about the vascular mechanism is you're, instead of targeting tumor cells, which are mutated and heterogeneous. Uh, so there's always a resistant subpopulation, which can bring the cancer back. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you're treating uh, the tumor vasculature, it's an unmutated host system. Uh, and it's very consistent in, in its response. And so this could be the first oncology drug, which can work in 100% of patients, and, uh, and in which uh, the cancers can never develop resistance to the therapy. Uh, so, you know, it's an exciting opportunity and, uh, you know, and we hope to, you know, bring a lot of value to cancer patients. Oh, absolutely. And it, I mean, you couldn't be uh, more on top of where we're in a society now where so many people are dealing with cancer. So the timing is perfect for you to come out with this because even half my client load are people that are dealing with some form of cancer. So it's, it's very prevalent. And now, am I hearing that this drug also is not going to attack normal cells? It's only going after the tumor cells. So somebody who would be on a chemo drug who gets really sick and everything about their body gets destroyed on chemo, it wouldn't happen with this type of drug? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So, um, you know, so that's what, uh, you know, we have to uh, find the right way of treating so that people don't experience uh, severe toxicities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there are some uh, normal cells which will take up some drug, uh, but fortunately there's the potential to get uh, good results in the tumor while keeping the dose that goes in the normal cells at doses low enough that they can, you know, metabolize it and get rid of the drug uh, mm -hmm. before it ever builds up to a toxic dose. You know, so, you know, Paracelsus's rule, the dose makes the poison. So it's only when you get the dose up to a certain level that the toxin becomes a poison. Uh, and otherwise, it's, it can be relatively harmless and you can get rid of it. So that's the goal is to, you know, find a way of treating, you know, like a dosing schedule so that 
uh, the dose that builds up in normal cells is always below the uh, the poisonous level, and the dose that's in the in the tumor is high enough to be effective and uh, remove your cancer. And so, um, uh, yeah, we're quite optimistic, and uh, uh, you know, but it will take some clinical research to find that. And if you dose high enough, then you would have uh, toxicities. Mm -hmm. Now, fortunately, in animals, uh, we can always achieve efficacy at doses that are safe. And, you know, so the animals act like they don't notice they're being treated. They eat, sleep, move normally, and the tumors go away. Uh, and we have to go to much higher doses in order to uh, cause toxicities. You know, so we'll see what happens in, in people. Uh, you know, so we're optimistic. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you have to, you have to test it. Yeah. That's why I wanted to talk about it is because like I lost my own mom to cancer. So if I can do anything to promote something that I always say, she actually died from the chemo, the chemo made her so sick that her body couldn't withstand it. So if there's a drug out there that could actually go to the root of the problem, which is the tumor vascularity and that's what it sounds like this is doing. And so, yeah, this is something that's really exciting. I hope that we can see it come to the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're, we're excited, you know, we can't wait to see how it does. And, uh, you know, if it works as, as well in people as it has in animals, then it'll, it'll be transformative. Wonderful. <clears throat> okay, so as we wrap up here, um, I know that I am in love with your book, I read it over and over, it's always on my shelf. But where can people find your book if they haven't heard of it, or if they want to check it out? And then also you have a version in Chinese that's coming out as well, or has come out, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we're uh, quite happy, you know, so we have uh, German, Hungarian, uh, UK, Australian editions, and uh, we're very happy that a, a Chinese edition has just come out with a prestigious uh, Beijing-based publisher, you know, one of the leading uh, scientific university presses in, in China. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, yeah, so people can go to Amazon, they can go to our website, perfecthealthdiet.com. And, you know, uh, so just about any bookseller should have it. It's uh, published by Simon & Schuster by the, oh. the Scribner imprint. Uh -huh. uh, so the same imprint for Hemingway and, you know, lots of other uh, leading novelists. Uh, and they, they got into health. They, we were one of the first health books that they published. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, the book is, uh, you know, readily available and, uh, you know, I hope people enjoy it. Oh, I know they will. I, I still do <laughs> after reading it like 16 times. Okay. And then about Angie X, where can they find you with regard to that? If they want to look up that and just research it some more. Yeah. They can go to angiex.com, A-N-G-I-E-X.com. Okay, great. I'll have all that in the show notes too. So thank you so much for your time today, Paul. I know it's very limited. So I was so excited when you were able to come on and hopefully we can have you back on when that drug goes to, to help people and we can talk more about it. So. Okay. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you. Bye. That your needs and diet are as unique as your fingerprint. That's why not every diet in the world will work for you, because you're special, okay? So as your nutritionist, I believe in your bioindividuality, and it's my job to act as your nutrition detective and find the root of your issues and create a more optimized U2.0. So are you looking to ease some digestive distress or maybe dial in your sleep? What about lowering environmental stress that could be causing, you know, stuff like undue anxiety? What about food struggles and emotional connections to food? Or maybe you're simply suffering from diet confusion and not sure where to start to improve your health. That's where I come in. So let's set up a free 15-minute call to see if I'm right for you. That's right. All you're going to do is email me at getfitwithjodell at gmail.com. That's J-O-D-E-L-L-E. And let's just chat about you and see if we're a good match when it comes to getting you the results you've been waiting for. And no matter where you are, you could be in Asia, Brazil, Chicago, or somewhere in between, we can connect via Zoom or phone or any way you like to get you the results and your health once and for all. Let me be your guide and let me get you there. <music> 
what would it feel like to have virtually every supplement known to man at your fingertips? And what if you only had to drink water to get them in? I firmly believe in frequency. It's what you feel when you touch a rock that's warmed by the sun. It's how your text message gets to your friend's phone thousands of miles away. It's lightning, it's wind, it's brain waves, it's microwaves. Everything has frequency and now you can write frequencies of different substances into your water since water holds frequencies. Listen to a podcast I did with Anton Federinko, a leading expert on frequency, and then visit the link in the show notes to Infopathy, a way to infuse your water with the frequency of any substance or supplement that you want, even peptides, without ever spending a penny on them. Check the show notes now for a link to Infopathy and a special discount code just for my listeners.